Good morning. How are you? Doing great. Doing good. All those of you online, we welcome you as well, wherever you are here in town or out of town or out of the country. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we're going to baptize a bunch of people tonight at Honeyman Island Beach. The parking is free. Come at five. Come a little before five. And we're going to dunk a whole bunch of people in the Gulf of Mexico tonight. We are. We are. It's exciting. Very exciting. We're going to tackle another one of these great stories of Jesus. And before we do that, though, I want to tell you a story that took place probably about 20, 22 years ago. I'm a senior pastor in Memphis, and this elderly couple were at our church for a couple of years, and then they kind of went off the radar. She got Alzheimer's and dementia and went into a memory care, and he went into a nursing home and, and really lost, lost track of them. And I got a phone call from the daughter, and there was a 50-year-old daughter and a 54-year-old son. Uh, and so I got a call from the daughter, and she said, um, will you do the funeral for my dad? And I said, sure. And um, she said, well, how long was the service going to be? And I said, well, usually it's about, you know, 25 or 30 minutes at a graveside, about an hour. She said, that's too long. It's just way too long. I said, oh, oh, okay. How long would you like for it to be? Well, five minutes is plenty. Five minutes is enough. And she said, uh, how much do you charge? Now, she's already offended me about three different ways at this point. We don't charge for funerals. I shot an exorbitant amount back to her on the phone. She's out of state. I don't care if I do it or not. I'm mad. Today, I would have handled it a whole lot differently, okay? But she said, really, that much? And I said, yeah. She said, fine. And so she said, it'll be 3 o'clock graveside. So I remember, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm there. I'm there at quarter till 3 at the graveside, all by myself. And finally, they show up with the limo, and the daughter and the son get out. The mother's got dementia, but she's in a wheelchair. They wheel her out, and I cut two cousins. And literally, I think I, I did a graveside for like, I still did 15 or 20 minutes. And right when I was done, back in the limo, doors, you know, tires are squealing. They're out of there. And I thought, why not just roll the window down and like shove him out the window as you drive by, you know, and we can make this a drive-by funeral or whatever. And I thought, man, this family's rude. A year goes by. I get a call from that same daughter. The mother had passed away. She said, would you do the service? I said, yes. I know how much you charge. She said, that'll be fine. I thought, I'm embarrassed now, you know, because I shouldn't have said that. And, and she said, um, we're not going to be outside. Uh, it's so hot in Memphis. She was from Ohio. It's so hot in Memphis. That time of year, we'll be inside at the, at the funeral home. I said, great. So I drive into the funeral home, and there's cars everywhere. I've never, you know, this thing is packed. I just know it can't be for Evelyn. It has to be for somebody else. You know, they've probably got Evelyn in a closet somewhere, you know, inside. So I kind of sheepishly go in, ask the funeral directors, where's Evelyn so-and-so? I'm not going to tell you her last name. And she said, oh, that's the big room. You're in the big room. I go in the big room. And the son, 54-year-old son's written a poem. There's seven or eight letters from nieces and nephews, grandkids. And I mean, the service is an hour and 10, hour and 12 minutes. It was, could not have been any polar, more polar opposite than the, the service for the year earlier. But after it was over, I went up to the son. And I said, his name was Ray Jr. 
And I said, you know, we did the service for your dad, Ray, and now we just did the service for your mother, Evelyn. I said, these could not have been more diametrically opposed. He said, oh, it's real simple, real simple. He said, my mother understood the goodness of God. And my mother was grateful for everything that Jesus has done for her. He said, well, my dad went to church. My dad showed up every Sunday. He was actually even an elder at one point in a church. He said, but my dad was never grateful for the goodness of God. Jesus tells a story about these two people. He doesn't call them by name. They're actually 10 lepers. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus says he was on his way to Jerusalem. He traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He was going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, one of them, did I say one of them? One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now, in this story, all 10 lepers needed something from Jesus. It's you and me. All of us need something from Jesus. In this case, they needed healing. In this case, they needed cleansing. In this case, these guys couldn't go to their wives. They couldn't embrace their children. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't go to the synagogue. They couldn't have any kind of relationship, a job. These guys all needed something from Jesus. Why did the one guy come back? What was it about the one guy's heart that was so different than the hearts of the other nine men? You see, I think gratitude is a condition of the heart. Gratitude is really an, an, an inside job. Gratitude is on the inside. Oh, you can write letters, you can write notes, you can tell, email people, you can text people. You can airdrop message. You can do all that great stuff. But, but really, bottom line is, one guy came back. One guy said, I I've got to go back. Now, I don't know why sometimes Jesus healed people instantly. And other times, it was like a process or a journey. There's another leprosy story where he just touched the guy. The guy was healed immediately. This story, they had to go show themselves to the priest. And by the way, there were no known cases of leprosy ever being cured. Leprosy was an incurable disease. And so you go show yourself to the priest. Well, so far in history, nobody had ever said by the priest, yeah, he had leprosy and now he doesn't. They might go to the priest and the priest might say, you were misdiagnosed or I'm sorry, but you still have leprosy. And so these 10 guys on their way, on their way, they get healed. And you see, I think gratitude, it, it's not the catalyst. It's the confirmation. Let me explain that. See, I think that sometimes we think gratitude is the catalyst. And, and so we, we've been taught that externally, 
if we have external things happen inside of us, then we'll be thankful. And we've all been pretty much taught that if you have success on the outside, somehow you're going to feel good on the inside. We've been taught that. It's a wrong belief, but we've been taught that. And some of us have grown up in homes even where love was pretty conditional. As long as you succeeded, as long as you were able to get the grades, as long as you were able to get the job, as long as you're able to get the advancement, then everybody likes you. And so you grew up with success being an outside job that somehow would give you internal peace. If that were true, then the most satisfied workers in America would not be school teachers, and the most dissatisfied workers in America would not be dentists. Dentists have the highest suicide rate of any profession. Now, if you're a dentist, I am not prognosticating your future, okay? I am not. I am not saying that at all. What I am saying is, a good salary versus a great salary are externals and they don't make you happy. If they made you happy, dentists would be a lot happier than school teachers and the records don't show that. You see, success is always an inside job. We've not been taught that. We've been taught that somehow the externals, more willpower, more self-help, somehow the externals will make me feel good about myself. But success is always an inside job. It is always an inside job, as is gratitude. And I'm convinced you can be successful and still be miserable, but you can be wildly successful and be extremely living from an internal state of peace. So here we have this incredible story about gratitude. Now, why is this important? I want to share with you just a little bit of secular research, and I love it when secular research supports what the Bible's been saying all along. There's some really big risks. Number one is chronic unhappiness. Number two, psychological problems. The University of Virginia says that people that are just ungrateful, they just walk around really with a higher level of depression. Number three, the University of Manchester talks about you're condemned to despair. People that are not grateful for who they are, for what they have, they walk around with more despair. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think the biggest risk of all is your health, number four. They have the worst health. The people who are pretty much ungrateful in life are the ones who walk around with some of the most chronic, acute health issues that that you could ever face. So let me just kind of describe an ungrateful person. You can follow along on the screen. An ungrateful person always focuses on what's wrong with their life. An ungrateful person always complains incessantly about their job, the weather, and where they live. An ungrateful person can never be happy because they're always bitter and negative. They're more likely to suffer from illnesses. Ungrateful people believe things just don't work out for them. They're simply not good enough or they're just not deserving of good things. Ungrateful people, they they just think that they are a victim every time something doesn't work out for them. They have anger problems because they try to convince everyone else that they are right and everyone else is wrong. See, in this story, everybody got healed but only one person became whole. 
And when you think about Christendom, everybody who gets to go to heaven got saved. But not everybody who gets saved actually gets whole. So many people get saved, but they're still full of all kind of anger and bitterness and rage and malice. They're still full of greed. They're still full of love. I mean, you, you can get saved and go to heaven and still be all locked up on the inside. This is a series about how you can become unlocked. And what I love about this story is that Jesus will either save your life or he will become your life. It's only two, two ways. He will save you and you get to go to heaven and that's awesome. Or he will become your life. And everybody has that choice. Now I want you to be saved. He wants you to be saved. I think being saved is kind of easy. I accept Jesus. I get to go to heaven. I don't accept Jesus. I go to hell. What's hard about that decision? How much intellectual capacity does that take to make that? doesn't take much to make that decision. That's a pretty easy decision. But for Jesus to become my life, well, that's different. And so everyone today, here, there, is invited where Jesus doesn't just save your life. Jesus becomes your life. Look at verse 12 with me for just a second. See, Jesus was just going about his normal business, carrying the presence of God inside of him. And 10 men just kind of intersected him, just met him there in the road. Of course, they're going to stand at a distance. They're lepers. They got all kinds of issues and problems. They've not been home for years. They've not hugged their wives for years. They've not been able to get close to their children for years. They've not been able to hold down a job. They've not been able to go to the synagogue or spend any time in the temple. They're at a distance. And they cry out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Just like them, we all have great needs. And oftentimes we come to Jesus out of our needs, and I think that's great. I think there's nothing wrong with that. We come to Jesus because we need a job. We come to Jesus because we need help. We come to Jesus because we're in despair. We come to Jesus because we don't know how to break this addiction. We come to Jesus because we need a do-over, right? So, so we come to Jesus, and he, he's, he's okay with us being needy. He's, he's more than okay with you having concerns and issues. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And on their way, the journey, they, they were cleansed. But one of them, did I ever say one of them? One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God just in this incredibly loud voice. You see, one guy says, I got to go back. I got to go back and thank Jesus. And the other nine are going, oh, just, just go to the priest first. Go to the priest, get the clean bill of health. Then you can go home and see your wife. You haven't seen your children in three years. Come on, dude, let's go. Let's just come on. He's going, no, 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 I, I can't. I, 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 got, I got to go back. Yeah, but, but until you go to the priest, you don't get a clean bill of health. You can't go forward. I, I, I've got to go back. You know why? Because Jesus, 
didn't just touch this man's skin. He touched his soul. He touched this man to the core of his being. And his soul, he would never be the same again. And when Jesus touches your soul, he he doesn't just saves you. He becomes your life. This is who he is to you. He's not just my savior. He is now my all, my everything. He becomes my life. Now, and so the guy says, I I, got to go back. I, I got to go back. And he comes back. The other guys are going to the priest. The other guys are going to their homes. The other guys qualify for jobs on Monday. He's coming back. And he's still got to go to the priest. But he's coming back, and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. Which if Jesus wasn't the divine physician, and if, he was, and if the guy wasn't healed, it would make Jesus the leper. Of course, none of that would ever take place, because Jesus had already healed him. And he cries out in a loud voice. He's praising God in a loud voice. He's praising God. So I want to say this again. You can just get fire insurance and go to heaven, and that's great. Or he becomes your life. And everything on the inside of you changes, which is really what you want anyway. It's why you've worked so hard in business and school and life and relationships because somehow we think those external things are somehow going to make us feel really good about who we are, and it's just the opposite. Success is always what? An inside job. It is always from the inside out. You want to be unlocked with money? You want to be unlocked with addictions and greed? You want to be unlocked with heart issues? You want to be unlocked with bitterness and anger? You want to be unlocked so that you can be forgiving to everybody and anybody in your life? You want to be all those things that Jesus, then he, he becomes your life. So how do you do that? How does Jesus Christ become your life? I don't want to be the nine. I want to be the one I don't want just to be saved. I want to be whole. I want Jesus Christ to be my life. And by the way, those are the happiest people I've ever met. They they can be rich or poor, educated, uneducated, lots of toys, no toys. The happiest people I know are the people where Jesus has become their life. And they're filled with an inward state of peace and joy inside them. So how do you do that? It's called encounters. It's having encounters with God. That's how this happens. That's how this works. You see, 10 men all got healed. But one guy's going, wait a minute. I know I got to go to the priest. Home's waiting on me. Kids are waiting on me. but he touched my soul and I will never be the same again. He touched my soul. How does that happen? When you encounter him, he's going to encounter you. If you seek me, you will find me if you search for me with all of your heart. And so how, how do you have encounters? We talk about the secret place and the meeting place all the time. 
And the secret place encounters are when you're there with your Bible and you're there having a moment, moments with God, 15 minutes, whatever, an hour, hour, whatever. It's your time with God. And in that time with God, every time you see a promise of God, you embrace it. You sow that seed. You see, there's seed time and there's harvest. There's sowing and there's reaping. And you sow the seeds of the word of God, you will reap the power of the word of God. I sow seeds. Every promise I see in the scriptures, I'm sowing seeds. Got three grandchildren. I'm sowing seeds for for Lily, for Callie, for Asher. I'm sowing seeds for Erica and Jeff and Ethan and Paz and Emily and Andrew and Danita and me. I'm sowing seeds. I'm sowing seeds. That's the encounter. That living word is just as powerful today as the day when it was spoken or the day when it was written. It is the living word of God which has power in your life. I'm going to sow seeds, sow seeds, and sow seeds, and I'm going to encounter him. In that secret place, also when you're reading the scriptures, you're going to go, oh man, that's convicting. Shoot, I'm blowing it here. I confess this to you. Help me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You start just sharing the word and the promises of God. And then you come to meeting places. There's a mystery about the power of the encounter in the meeting place. There's a mystery that can't always be explained. It's the Jesus in you and the Jesus in you and the Jesus in you and the Jesus in you like high fives the Jesus in me. There's something about the synergism and the mystery and the power of the meeting place. And in the meeting place, it's like the fullness of the Spirit in you touches the fullness of the Spirit in me and we grow and we encounter and we grow and we encounter and we grow and we encounter and we keep growing. That's what's available to you. If you're not a Christian, sure, give your life to Jesus today. Jesus, I give my life to you. This afternoon, we're going to baptize a whole bunch of people. Come and celebrate. When you leave this service, go sign up at the guest service desk to be baptized this afternoon. But the most important thing is to remember this morning, Jesus either just saves your life or he is. He is your life. I don't see a lot of happy Christians when Jesus just saves their life. They're heaven bound, and that's wonderful. But I don't see that peace that passes human understanding until he becomes your life. I don't see that in the fruit in other people's lives. And and that's what I want for you but it's what he wants for you. We were having dinner with um, Jeff and Denine Swanson, our friends, a couple, about a, about a month ago, and somehow the conversation got turned back to, to Jesus, which is what we talk about a lot. And I, I said, I, I, and I mean this, I, I really can't believe that Jesus has done for me what he's done. I, I am... I am overwhelmed with gratitude. I I really can't believe that Jesus died for me, that Jesus shed his blood for me, that Jesus would give his life, go to a cruel cross, receive the the punishment for me to get to go. I'm overwhelmed with gratitude 
on what Jesus has done for me. Aren't you? Aren't you like overwhelmed when you think about what he did? And it wasn't just like a one-time event. He then came to intercede for you and he comes to deposit himself inside of you and he comes to allow there to be the fullness of the spirit of life in in you. I mean, aren't you like, wow, I can't believe Jesus is so awesome. And when you get to that point, you're, you're not like Mr. Ray, who, who really wasn't grateful or happy. Or, he was wildly successful, multi, multi, multi-millionaire guy. But it was Evelyn that you really want to be. Kind, gracious, grateful, filled with the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with the spirit of the living Christ inside of her. And that's available to you. It starts with you giving your life to Christ. The next step is to be baptized. You identify with the greatest event in all of history, Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. That's what Christian baptism is. So this afternoon, come join us at 5 p.m. We'll, we'll baptize you, we'll bury you, raise you to walk to a new life. One guy said, if I give you 20, will you hold my wife under for a couple more minutes? <laughs> no, but for a 50, no, I'm just kidding. Just, just kidding. Just, just kidding. We don't hold you down. We just, it's just, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of baptism. It's a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection. That's all it is. It's a symbol. But what I'm really talking to today are those of you that are Christians. You are saved. May he be your life. Will you stand with me? You're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the great I am. And we worship you this morning. We're thankful. We're thankful. We're thankful. We're so thankful. Now, would all of you in the room just take a minute or two on your own and thank him? I want you now not to thank him for your cat, your dog, your new truck, your shotgun. That's all good. But will you right now for just a moment thank him for what he's done for you? Thank him for how awesome Jesus is. I want to give you a minute or two for you to worship the king. On your way out, the kids have a kids resource this morning. It's really good. It'll continue your conversation at home with your children about thankfulness and gratefulness. And our children's team has written some exercises and some tools. Um, It's not just for kids. This is for us as well. All right. See you this afternoon. Bye-bye.